Hey everybody, welcome back to Up The Vibe. Today I'm joined by Gary Osborne and James Rose, who's hoping to join in a bit. Gary has been a writer on mysticism, esoteric <laughs> traditions for more than 20 years, and he's collaborated with authors like Scott Crichton, Philip Coppens, and Robert Boval on books and various articles, especially about the new discoveries regarding the Great Pyramid of Giza. He has also worked closely with Jim Penniston, who was previously on the podcast, on deciphering the binary code message Jim received. And he will and we'll be diving into that today. How are you, Gary? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. So, um <laughs> Good to Yeah, have you I mean, what do you wanna what do you wanna start on first? Sure. Yeah, well let's start by um just have a brief introduction about how you kind of came got, across, got you know, getting into the pyramid of Giza and then moving on to how you got to know Jim and collaborated with him. Yeah, I I mean I started I started research in ninety seven because of an experience I had in 93, you know? And I wanted to learn about that experience and I was just researching into it because I've never never had anything like it before. What it was kind like of experience? Me. Well, what I later found out, it was a Kundalini kind of awakening okay. experience, yeah. you know? But yeah, and because um, of the symptoms of the experience I had. And so that's how I really got into kind of researching stuff. I and mean, I was really wanting to find out about the experience I had. Uh, but it was, I, it happened to me spontaneously without any prior instruction or knowledge about it. And um, so while I was doing all the research on it, I was having insights into things. And I think that, that experience I had was kind of conducive to having these insights and making connections between things. Um, so that's how I got started um, with this kind of material, with, with you know, these areas of research. And um, I first wrote a book with uh, Philip Gardner called uh, The Serpent Growl. That was in 2005, um, where I introduced some of these the things I'd been working on, some of the discoveries I'd made uh, from, from my own experience. But really, you know, I had no preconceived ideas or, or anything about it. So it was just straight from what I kind of experienced and uh, what I, the insights I had into it. So that then I wrote a book called The Shining Ones, even though it was by me and Philip Gardner. I mean, his name's on the, on the cover, but he only, he, he only contributed 16 pages, the last 16 pages of that book. So really, it was a book I had written. It was, um, what it was, it was the, uh, the publishers wanted a, an updated book of one of his book called The Shining Ones. And, but Philip Gardner didn't want anything to do with it. So it was left to me to kind of update it, but it was a, re, it was a rewritten book you know, really in the end. Uh, so those books, um, they sold quite well. And um, and I was still researching. I was writing articles. And um, then in two, 2010, Jim Penniston got in touch with me. Um, and I, I knew who he was because I'd seen a, I'd seen a documentary of someone acting yep. as him. And because of what I'd learned from the documentary, I thought, well, that's... That'd be an interesting guy to talk to. And then two weeks later, he gets in touch with me out of the blue. Oh, really? Okay. And uh, so it's he introduced himself. <laughs> yeah. And he introduced himself and um, he said, I want you to look at this code. And so I said, well, what code? What? And he, he said, it's been, he said, the first five pages have been on ancient aliens. You know, it's been put out. It's in the public domain. But he says there was... 16 pages in total. I mean, he didn't actually know how many pages he had. He didn't really look at the number of pages. 
But anyway, we found out 16 pages. And in those 16 pages, along with the text, was uh, seven sets of geographical coordinates. And um, he just had them deciphered by Joe Luciano, who helped him with a code. He was a kind of binary code expert. Um, and he was in the USAF as well. Um, but he helped Jim with the code. And um, soon after he deciphered these seven sets of coordinates, Jim sent them to me. And he sent them to me on the 2nd of February, 2011. And um, so I started, I was, I was kind of really intrigued by this. Yeah. And um, I looked in Google Earth. I thought, it's the only way I'm going to see what these coordinates are pointing to. And it was kind of really dramatic seeing the cursor kind of move to these ancient sites, you know, mm -hmm. across the globe. Yeah. And uh, so I locked down what I had found with these seven coordinates, but he wanted to see if I could find any additional information. Yeah. And I did. Within the first few months, I did, uh, because it was the way I approached it. Mm -hmm. And I can see now why this code fell into my lap, because it's the way I, I approach certain, uh, how I do my research. Mm -hmm. So, um, Is this a good time to maybe the, show the uh, the coordinates and, uh, and uh, well, the you, you've locations? Got, you've got the graphic, haven't you? That yeah, you, and I might, I might share that now. And I think for anyone who's uh, listening, this is the moment where I say that we'll try our best to explain what we're <laughs> showing, but uh, you might want to... <laughs> watch the the video uh on 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 the podcast on youtube but um yes. so let me try and share um share screen and okay so i could I think yeah that's the message that's the binary code message uh, this is the this is how the uh, message comes out um pretty much when decide turned from the binary code and it's it's not just the coordinates it's got this this message in there and in, in in english right and it's this yeah. is what i would like i was talking to um to jim about the other day in yeah. in uh if it seemed like a deliberate message to be received by jim it wasn't like he ha happenstance touched the craft and then whoever touches the craft got a message this message was relayed to him because it's it's done that in a way that he can decipher as if it was deliberate as if it yeah. was deliberate if, if he was french for example it might have been in french right could you imagine yeah. that i don't know yeah it's, yeah it's we um, looked at all those aspects yeah and it's got these these coordinates here um yeah. I, I did mention sort of glibly to jim why can't it be a bit more explanatory do they have like a limited number of characters or um to transmit in the code but uh, they could have said you know i'm such and such from the year you know <laughs> But uh, it's, yeah, it's kind understand. of cryptic in a way. Uh, but there is yeah, there is an element to it that looks like it's trying to um, to help us. You know, this continuous uh, for planetary advance, exploration of humanity, mm. um, origin year eighty one hundred. Now that is that is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I could talk about that later. And it's got yeah. the six 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 in there as well, which kind of <laughs> makes people think, oh, kind of yeah, get exactly, yeah, I know. I know. And uh, <coughs> this is from the, the book, and this shows a map uh, with the points on it, just to give a, a, an aspect, um, yeah. a sort of perspective. So this is this is what you were doing. So going back to what you were saying, you were just going Google Earth and finding uh, finding all these locations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't say one thing without having to say several other things, you know. So 
how I can explain that is that I first started with Google Earth, okay, where you see everything on the globe. But I wanted to see them all together in a map projection of the Earth like you see there. With, yeah, the um, Mercator projection. And that, that was Google Maps. And the reason being is because when Jim first sent me the coordinates, uh, he said, could you just, you know, give it a go, give it your best shot, see if you can find any, you know, additional information. He titled the email 23.5 degrees, okay? Okay. So I thought, well, I got back to him. I said, why did you title 23.5 degrees? He said, because I've had dreams about it. I've had dreams about 23.5 degrees. He said, but I thought it may have something to do with certain temperatures, you know, regions of the planet. And I said, no, no. It's the Earth's obliquity angle, you know, the tilt angle of the Earth in respect mm-hmm. to the ecliptic plane. I said, you know, most textbooks will give it as 23.5 degrees, you know, an overall number, but it's 23.43 degrees right now. And it's decreasing. Yeah, um, that comes from the book that I wrote with Scott Crichton, um, where I was able to kind of superimpose the Great Pyramid. It all lines up. It's actually pointing to its location on the Earth through these angles that are in the internal dimensions. But but we see um, here the kind of the north south is tilted from from the elliptic pole by twenty three point five degrees. From the, from, yeah, from the ecliptic. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in respect to the ecliptic, because that would be the Earth's orbit around the sun. You know, it's like the sun's pole. You see what I'm saying? So it's it's you know it's tilted in respect to that. I mean, you do get people saying. Like, how can it be tilted? Because there's no up and down, no left in space, you know. Yeah. There's no east and west. But, but it's, it's tilted a, it's in tilt that gives us the seasons, planet. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But there's belief that the Earth was once upright. Yeah. You know, and, there, and if it was upright, there wouldn't be any seasons. It would be um, continual springtime. It'd be temperate weather all year round at certain mm. latitudes, you know, above the equator and below the equator, yeah. uh, which makes people believe that maybe during that time, that was the Garden of Eden, you know, when the earth was upright, with temperate weather, continual springtime. Yeah. And, and there was no death, there was no season where there was an intermission in the growth of uh, vegetation and that, and, and the winter, you know, death and that kind of thing. So um, people saw the tilted earth as an imbalance, as it reflected an imbalance in human consciousness, you know, um, that it's to do with sin, the reason why we have so much conflict, uh, wars, you know, all kinds of conflict. It's, they, saw it, they saw the tilt of the earth being responsible for that, see? And if it was upright, everything would be balanced, you see? So, and, and actually, one, the, one of the themes of the code is balance, is us getting back to balance. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how crazy the world is, especially now. <laughs> Um, so that's one of the themes in the code. I think that's part of the message that I picked up from just looking at the coordinates. You see, there's just so much information in those seven, encapsulated in those seven sets of coordinates. There's enough there, and I'm, I'm not just, you know, being dramatic about it. There's enough there to fill three volumes, three large volumes mm-hmm. of what's come out of those seven coordinates. And as I said, I've been, I've been working on it for the last 12 years. Um, and I found just a, uh, a mass of data has come out just those seven sets of coordinates. So okay. when you say that, when you say that's, you know, it's a kind of, it doesn't say much in the message. There's a lot said in those seven sets of coordinates mm-hmm. when you look into them, when you study them. Yeah. 
um, but it's all mathematical. And I'm thinking that the reason why it's all mathematical, because mathematics is, the, you know, it's a universal language. Um, everything is mathematical, you know, and it's how you would prove something. So it's, what I'm saying is, is proving the things that it's telling us through mathematics. There wouldn't be two, any two ways about it. You see what okay. I'm saying? Because they've, they've used English here, which isn't universal, but then they've encoded right. mathematics in there, which is. Is that, is that to try and get us to, uh, to explore it further? But the mathematics gives it a sense of validity. A... Yeah, it's, I mean, mathematics is factual. You can't, you can't argue against two times two is four you know so um it's it's yeah it kind of validates itself it authenticates itself through the mathematics mm -hmm. which we'll go on into later about the fine structure yeah. constant i guess we've got the issue with language of different different ways of reading the same sentence and different uh understanding but two times two equals yeah. four is pretty much the same understanding well i'm just using that, that example that, but you know what i'm saying that yeah you know uh, i mean everything is mathematical scientists think that mathematics is just a you know it's an invention it's a human invention or it's just a tool to try and get us some information in it but no reality itself is mathematical mm -hmm. it's existence everything is mathematical fault feelings it's everything's yeah. mathematical mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to comprehend but there is there is a lot of information about how um reality is we talk about it being the matrix, but in, in terms of being like this, this creation and it's um, what is sort of geometrical in structure and it's just yeah. all, all bound in um, this mm. kind of complex geometry, this um, yeah. special geometry that yeah, geometry somehow manages well. to manifest yeah. all reality, which is mind blowing. But um, a, there are a lot, I mean, of, there's a lot of information out there pointing to that. Yeah, I mean, I hated math at school. I mean, I think a lot of us <laughs> do, you know, we're kind of intimidated by mathematics and, you know, arithmetic and that. But um, that's what the code taught me uh, is that, you know, everything is mathematical and um, it's, it's, it's not just that, you know, it's, uh, it's all the geometry as well. But mm. what it does is it, it gives us these, um, these themes of information, these themes um, by, by, distances by having certain significant number dis distances you know between certain things and they're and they're kind of mostly in um numbers that are called processional numbers you know you know i'm sure you've heard of the law of procession you know yeah, and the cycle of 25 9 that's right yeah. 20 years uh which is the ancient estimate uh i think the estimate I think the scientific estimate is 25776, something like that. Mm -hmm. But you see that the ancients encoded the estimate uh, and all the subdivisions of that number in, in their temples. Um, and um, the reason why they use the number 25920 is because uh, everything reduces down to the number nine. And it was an easier way to remember it and, and how to encode it. So, And all this comes up... In, at Giza, um, a lot of the distances are in these subdivisions of the processional cycle, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but the code actually points all that out. Yeah, you know, the code actually leads us to that. What's ever been what was encoded at Giza by whoever built Giza, whoever yeah. um, designed it and built it. And you know, it's now I'm now getting the 
it's made me think that maybe Giza wasn't built by the ancient Egyptians. It may be the intelligence that sent us the, the code, you know, but there may be some kind of connection there. Maybe information being sent back into the past. I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about that a bit later. And uh, and apologies, it sounds like I've um, just had a message that James might not be able to join. So um, he might join a bit later, but I think at the That's moment I have to assume that he won't be able to 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 join this uh, conversation. Um, but turning back to these codes, so just for those listening, the there's there's codes on here for there's a number of places, and we'll t- should we go through each one in, individually? The first one is yeah. High Brazil, and I was looking at that on a map, and that that's a, is that a submerged island just off, um, off yeah. island itself. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, just off the southwest coast of Ireland. Yeah. Um, and there is something there because you see these heat maps, and they, they're showing you. Um, it shows there's something there, you know. And it's also had a name, something to do with Danan, or can you remember that? No, I, I, there was, I there was another name. Old... It was just weird because I was I was um I've interviewed Elena Denan recently and it just had a oh yeah 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 a weird a weird coincidence there. But I don't I don't think there's any connection. But it was just uh, something that popped up when there's, I was uh, looking okay. at it. <laughs> there's so um, many co- so many meaningful coincidences, <laughs> yeah, synchronicities yeah. associated with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the twelve years I've been working on it, all these kind of associated um, and I put it. The meetings I've had with people that are either indirectly involved or directly involved in the code, you know, and the Rendlesham incident. Um, so it's like a synchromesha phenomena, you know. That, yeah. You know, like all these synchronicities coming up. And one of yeah. them is I met Nick Pope by chance in 97, you know, in 1997. He walked into my pub and um, I thought, well, this is too much of a synchronicity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because of course he, he worked into- with Jim, didn't he? And on, on that. Yeah, well, this is what I'm saying. This was in 97. And I thought, I need to go over and have a chat with him. So I did. I introduced myself to him. And we did meet up in that pub, um, which is in Surrey, Merton Abbey Mills. It was called the William Morris on the river. And we used to meet up there every, uh, I don't know, almost every week for about, I don't know, three or four times. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, and I told him about the experience I had, and the reason why I was kind of interested in the UFO phenomenon is because I thought there was a link to it with this with this experience I had, uh, because I found kind of the symptoms of the experience in in contactees' accounts and uh, so-called abductees' accounts. Um, so I thought it might be a connection there, but he, he really didn't know what I was talking about about mm-hmm. Kundalini. I don't I don't think he ever really researched it or, or knew about it. So. We kind of went our separate ways. But then Jim Pennison gets in touch with me, as I said, like, for, was it 14 years later? And um, and I did ask Jim, I said, did you know, I, I met up with Nick Pope and we were talking, we, we were having discussions. I said, did he have a, did he tell you, you know, that he, he we went? And Jim said, no, I didn't know anything about that. So, and, and why would he, you know? I mean, me and Nick Pope, we went our separate ways and that was it. And that was before I was an author, long time before I became an author. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying that there's kind of strange kind of um, meetings with people and, and being introduced to certain people who are kind of indirectly or directly involved with it. Yeah, yeah. But where were um, we? What were we, where were we where were, yeah, I was just I going through. It? So we've got High Brazil, then we've got this uh, Caracol in Belize, uh, Sedona in Arizona, 
Then the, some more well-known ones, Giza in Egypt, the Nazca yeah. lines in Peru. And I, I was in Peru not that long ago. It's an amazing place. Um, yeah. Tian Ku in China, if I've said that right. Taishan. Taishan Ku. It's a sacred mound there. So yeah, what you've got with most of these places are pyramids or sacred mounds or just these kind of, what Jim thought they were, were kind of, vortices you know he called, thought there were there was vortexes at these uh, or vortices at these mm. locations like window areas you know um kind of dimensional window areas and um but what i found was there's a just another level of meaning with that because they all connect up and you know when he said about the 23.5 degrees one of the reasons why i started looking at the coordinates on the map projection of the earth is because i i found a lot of paintings that had that referenced the angle of 23.5 degrees you know like staffs and swords all at that angle and there's just so many of them and they're exactly at that angle so it's as if you know they were coding encoding the earth's axis angle in those paintings mm. uh, mostly from the 17th century you know when the church was um you know they they said that the earth was at the center of the universe and there, it wasn't tilted so i think people were kind of encoding this in the paintings as if to, to kind of encode real scientific knowledge about the earth, you know, and it's real and it's true condition. Okay. Interesting. So but anyway, Jim was, was quite deliberate or maybe a subconscious thing. It, it's more complicated than that, you see, <laughs> because they go back before the church, these references to the angle go back before the church mm -hmm. was ever conceived, you know, okay. The Catholic church. Um, so, yeah, so Jim, as I said, he had dreams about 23.5 degrees. So I wanted to look at them on a map projection of the Earth because I wanted to measure the angles between, between the coordinates. And I found that from Nazca to Giza on the flat map projection is 23.5 degrees. And then I found that from Nazca to uh, Caracol, Belize, which is uh, a Maya pyramid there, it's called the Karna, Karna Pyramid. So that's, that's another 23 point, it's 23.5 degrees there as well. So what, what do, you, per, how, how do you work that out? First one. So looking at this map here, is this a good map to show? So you got, yeah. so the, when you draw that, so that line, Caracol to Giza. It's 23.5 degrees. And uh, against from, what, against the equator? Yeah, well, what I mean is it's, as on a map projection of the earth, you would get those angles. But on a globe, you wouldn't. You'd have to use azimuth because that takes into consideration the curvature of the Earth. But on a map projection of the Earth, flat map projection, you'd be able to measure those angles. And okay. they're exact, like 23.5 from Nazca to Giza. And then from Giza to Caracol, it's perpendicular, it's still 23.5. And, and then you find that from Nazca to High Brazil, that's, I think that's how the Irish would pronounce it, it's uh, 51 degrees, which is the side angle of the pyramid. So what I'm saying to you is, and I haven't, oh, no. I didn't send you a, I didn't send you a graphic of that because okay. um, it's something to, that I'm. Do you want to direct us from this? So this is starting from the ones you sent me. If you want to direct through that and talk talk through this, you see, there's Nazca highlighted there in a red box. That's right. Yeah. The reason why I did that because we got those other. Um, graphics that i sent that that in a sequence after that but you see because 
now we're kind of dipping around and I'm kind of losing. Sure. So let's start from here and um, and go through um, in in the order that you, that you sent. So that's is that number that was number fifteen, was it? No, this is number one. Number one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't recognise that. I don't recognise it. So then this is number two here. No, that's that should be yeah that should be number two. Yeah. Okay. So, but what we got is the NASCAR, right? That's what was highlighted in the message there, in the in the binary code message. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So those those are the NASCAR co coordinates, um, and it goes all the way to Giza. You see that line? It's going all the way to Giza. Yeah. Okay. And I think we go to the next one. So, when it was, I I looked at the distance. And I found it was uh, seven six eight seven miles, and now I found six uh, sorry six seven six eight seven miles in the public domain. It had already been um, mentioned that number uh, in relation to this guy called Stanley Mailer, um, his theory called the fire line about um, the golden the golden um, number, and uh, so it was already in the, in the public domain. So. I wanted to find where at Giza it was exactly seven, six, eight, seven miles. Because whoever, whoever devised the code had used a number that was in the public domain so that it would verify what it's trying to show us. You see what I mean? So this is the distance between uh, Nazca and Giza. Yeah. In, in seven, miles. Six, it's exactly seven, six, eight, seven miles. But you see, I looked at it in meters so that I could scale it down, so that I could... Um, define it properly you know refine i'll be it asking about this but it does seem something something seems to be talked about in miles sometimes in meters sometimes in royal cubits what yeah why, yeah, why do things jump around cubits. in measurements so much in terms of well meters and royal cubits they're they're compatible because yeah the, i found that the royal cubit was de derived from the meter it's yeah, simple so that makes sense absolutely simple well you, you know you get a one meter diameter wheel um and the circumference will be pi, okay? Mm -hmm. And if you uh, divide pi by six, you get the you get the um, roll cubit in meters. Yeah. Okay, so you can imagine now they measure distances. We're just using a wheel with six spokes, and they would roll it along, and they would measure roll cubits out just by measuring off where the spokes turn up in a line. You know. Yeah. So um, that's how they measured. But how come they're using feet and or feet and inches or, or miles and things? No, like I, this? I don't. I don't really go into it because you know you've got to look at the royal cubits because that's what the ancient Egyptians used. So, um, but the meter, I'm sure they knew about the meter because it's an Earth measure, mm -hmm. and um, they knew about the they knew about the measures of the Earth because that's all encoded in the Great Pyramid. But that's another yeah. thing entirely. You know, that's another book. Um, but here, here yeah, we've I mean, got miles. So seven thousand six hundred eighty-seven miles. Is that is just is that just um, miles because it becomes that number is shown in miles? Is it just because of that? No, as I said, whoever devised the code had used a number that was already in the public domain. Right. Know? Okay. If you, you just think about seven six eight seven, it doesn't mean anything. Exactly. But when yeah. you find that someone used it in their theory and have mentioned it, and it's mm -hmm. on it's on the internet. Okay. Then you think, okay, so what they did was they used that number 
which was in the public domain to verify this alignment, okay? And the, and the reason being, I mean, there is a connection there because the guy, Stanley Mailer, who had this theory about seven, six, uh, sorry, seven, yeah, seven, six, eight, seven miles, um, he said that if you multiply that by phi, you get the uh, diameter of the Earth in miles, you see? Or the, what is it, the diameter? Or maybe the radius, I'm not sure, I can't remember this. And he said that the, the distance between Nazca and Giza is 7687 miles, right? So there was that connection there anyway. So whoever devised the code used that. Uh, but you have to, to find what the, whoever devised the code is trying to say, you've got to make sure that you get it exactly at 7687 miles anywhere on the Giza plateau. Okay. Do you see what I mean? From Nazca. So, so from my understanding, well, I think the research of Stanley Mailer is that the distances, uh, this distance here that we're talking mm. about is related to the earth itself in terms of the geometry yeah. of the earth and that yeah. there's a relationship there and yeah. they that may have <laughs> been the reason for the distance between the two these two points um yeah. and without going to that details when we're seeing it here from the code what what we think the message is doing is almost replaying our knowledge back to us to kind of say hello here's something that yeah um you've devised yeah. and here it is yeah. in the code so there's that's kind of like a it's like um, a, a communication that they're trying to to start, that kind of thing. Yeah, so it's, it's a way yeah. of verifying what you're finding. Okay, you know, because you've got something to pin it to, you know. But this happens a lot with the code. You know, it's not just this. I mean, they use numbers that are already in the public domain to verify what they're telling us. Mm -hmm. So um, that's not the only number. I mean, there's another number which is seven nine five three, which is also in the public domain. But I won't go into that yet. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of numbers. So this is complicated. You know, trying yeah. to trying to um, explain all this and trying to describe how I got to each piece of the puzzle is difficult. You know, because uh, you can easily lose people with this. And I mean, we've already overlooked what I was saying about the twenty three point five degrees. Um, that <sighs> what that has to do with the Earth's axis. There's all these themes that are coming out with the code and they're all connected. So there's something about the Earth's axis. There's, um, there's a timeline at Giza, which is what I call the Giza diagonal. It's what a lot of people call it. They call it the Giza diagonal or the pyramid diagonal. And that's a timeline. That's a processional timeline. Um, the code also points to Svalbard, where there's the seed vault, the, the doomsday seed vault there, you know, where all the seeds are kept in case of a global catastrophe. Do you know about that? I know about the vault, but you say the code has that inside it. Yeah, yeah, because the Giza coordinates, in the Giza coordinates, the last two digits, sorry, the last four digits of the latitude coordinates and the longitude coordinates, when you put them together, if you take those four digits, the last four digits of each, you can make a, another set of coordinates out of them and it will lead to, you to Svalbard, which <laughs> wow, is only okay. like 16 miles away from the seed vault. Yeah, so there's a connection there. Okay. <laughs> Um, and also, um, if you draw a line on the map projection of the Earth from Higher Brazil to those coordinates at Svalbard, it's 23.5 degrees. Another one of those, yeah. Okay. And there's loads of that. There's there's yeah. loads of that kind of thing and, going and on. And for people who are or maybe <laughs> listening, what we're what we're actually looking at the moment is a kind of aerial view of the Pyramid of Giza. Um, do you know when this? An was aerial taken? view. Um, 
Well, it's it's from Google Earth, so uh, and I, I usually use the um, was it the two two thousand and eight February two thousand and eight imagery because um, it's it's over it's almost overhead, so you get the centers of the pyramids, you know. Yeah, Do you know what I'm saying instead of like offset. <clears throat> so that one I think is from two thousand and eight. Um, now what we've been told here, I mean, it, you see where I've we see where I connected to the west face of the Great Pyramid. It's not actually on the apex. It's not actually in the center. No. And there's a reason for that. It's, it's, point, a, it's pointing to that location on the pyramid for a, for a reason, a specific reason. Because that shows all the um, fire-related geometry, you know, the golden mean geometry. Yeah, we'll, we'll come uh, on to that. So this, this point <clears> here <throat> that you've got is the exact point within that's um, in the coordinates. And it's slightly off-centered from the the actual the main pyramid. Yeah, I mean yeah. you have to take the seven six eight seven miles exactly, and you do that by looking at the meters, you know, the meter distance, and then you mm -hmm. you can't so you can refine it. Um, and that is the only monument on the Giza Plateau that would be targeted by that seven six eight seven miles exactly. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if they had so, um, given you a coordinate which was exactly on the top. Then this seven six eight seven wouldn't have been accurate anymore. No, and this is what <laughs> this rules out any kind of um, and, and I put it. People have been trying to debunk it to to debunk the um, seven sets of coordinates found in the code. They're saying that Jim Penniston took it from a, a site where these coordinates were were already put up, you know, on these pages mm. before before he. Um, before he had them deciphered or whatever, uh, which is wrong, really, because um, it doesn't work that way. I, and I, I looked into that, and uh, from my, from what I found out, I think that site was hacked, and the and the numbers were changed just to try to discredit Jim Penniston and this code. I mean, it, there is a lot of coordinated effort to to try and debunk this. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the thing is, right, Joe is that the fine structure constant, that's factual. There's no way anyone could have known about yeah. that. It, it's predicted a number, a 12-digit number that came, comes up in the future mm -hmm. in 2018. There's yeah. no way anyone could have known that or predicted it. So it doesn't matter how they're trying to debunk it. That is the bottom line. And it, it shows everything else is irrelevant. You know, are they trying to debunk it? Are they trying to criticize Jim and undermine him and, and, and the code? None yeah. of that matters. All the heat. We'll, we'll all come on to the fine structure constant in a bit, hopefully. Yeah, in terms of how yeah. how that was how that's come from it. Um, but what I was going to say is all the he said she said yeah. stuff is all irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's you, history to this case, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean John Burroughs, who was out. John Burroughs, who was out there with Jim. I mean, he's he's really against the code. But there was a time when he he was he wanted to be part of it mm -hmm. because him and Jim Penniston went their separate ways. He's been criticizing Jim and he's trying been trying to, you know, discredit the code. And so he's 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 out doing that now. I mean, he's doing interviews saying that, you know, how how is it that Jim did this, Jim did that? How, you know, it just doesn't add up. Yeah. But we explained it all in the book that we wrote. We explained all those things. So he's bringing up things that are, are no longer they're not they're not relevant anymore. But people believe it. People believe believe in what Johnny's saying. You know, 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, as I said, the code the, you can't there's different sides to every story, and uh, it's yeah. it's a complicated one. And there's hu there's humans getting involved in something, but we I think the the deeper message and, and what's really going on is what people really want want to know. <laughs> you know, yeah. to put put aside like the differences that people have with each other and <laughs> the complexities yeah, I mean, of all, the, relationships. Everyone's got their own agendas, you know, and they're trying and to then, spin and, things. And we've got to remember that Jim, John, and and Colt, and all those, all those Holt, sorry, who had all, all been involved, they've they've had a lot of time. They've had decades where people have been asking questions and they've been doing all these things that involved with Vendelsham. It's it gets quite you know quite intense, I yeah. guess, at times. Yeah, it is. It's very toxic, actually. Toxic. Um, but as I said, this is the bottom line is that the code gives us this 12 digit number that no one could have known about. So all of that mm. is ir irrelevant. And that's what mm. people have got to remember if they start beginning to understand this. Um, so anyway, from yeah, so it's given us this location on the west face of the Great Pyramid. And, there, and there's, a, there's a specific reason for that. But that's what it's pointing to. So if we go to the next one, uh, we have to try and get through these. Yeah. Um, yeah, you see there's three, three of the seven sets of coordinates are actually kind of referencing this point on the west face of the Great Pyramid. So it don't just happen once. It's like it's three times. And you'll see that from the High Brazil or High Brazil to the Sphinx, it goes through that point on the west face of the pyramid again. Okay. And from the coordinates of uh, Naxos, which is where the Temple of Apollo is, it goes through that point on the way to the Pyramid of Unas in Saqqara. And there's a reason for that too, because um, what the code is bringing attention to with this cache of records under the Sphinx, that's one of the themes as well, is that the, the connection to that, um, you know, the so-called hall of records under the Sphinx mm -hmm. is found that in the Pyramid of Unas. And um, it's Manu Saifzadeh that's been working on this and he's, He's got his book called, um, he's got his book out called Under the Sphinx. And you see, Manu has been helping me with the code. But what we find uh, emerging from the code are, are things that relate to his, his research work and his findings. So it's like the code is, um, the information that's coming out of the code, it, it relates to what's going on now. Sure. But um, the Sphinx and this Pyramid of Unis, they're not coordinates on the code at all. What it is is that the pyramid. What's the text on the walls of the of the pyramid of Unas, which are called the pyramid texts, and that they're probably the oldest um, texts, uh, religious texts that we found. And um, they are they the hieroglyphics there, which Manu has been deciphering. They relate to the Sphinx and um, this uh, maybe this this location of maybe where the records were deposited underneath mm. you see so um oh, it's all it's all related and the code is pointing all this out you know with these alignments and these distances and so you can see i mean let's wrap this one up i mean yeah. you can see that three sets of coordinates are referencing that point on the west face of the great pyramid yeah yeah let's okay. move on to this so i've seen yeah i've seen this one with the, the fire angle this is quite a complex diagram um, it is, yeah, but what, what 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 is essential about it is is it's, it's just showing us how the five ratio um, template at Giza and how the, the pyramids are kind of a 
uh, position to this phi ratio, uh, it all stems from that, that point on the west face of the pyramid, you see? Okay. Now, oh, yeah. if you come down from that point on the west face of the pyramid, um, it intersects the Giza diagonal, which I was talking about, which is a timeline, okay, which we haven't really got time to go into, but you see it intersects that point and that latitude that's going through it, which is 29.9766248, do you see that? Which is the golden cut latitude. There's two golden cut latitudes here. The, the one that's north, the 29.9766248, yeah. that's the number that generates the fine structure constant to 12 digits, right? the inverse fine structure constant to 12 digits. So you can see that how it's pointed to that point on the west face of the pyramid, and you measure down five falsely royal cubits, Okay, which is 148 for the processional cycle, it's a subdivision of the processional cycle. And then you measure down and you find that it, where it touches the, uh, where it intersects the Giza di diagonal, you look at that latitude that's going through, and that is called the golden cut latitude because it divides the phi ratio distance between G1 and G3 in the south between um, <clears> one. <throat> And 0.618. So, so what is it that's led you or or others as well to to come to, to these conclusions or to put these lines here and there or have this golden cut? What what sort of process no one, else, has no one else has come to this. I I've come to this myself by, yeah. just by studying the code. That's what and, it's given us. And so and, and Manu is did you say Manu is involved or not not with this? Um no, but I mean he, he he acknowledges it. He endorses okay. it. So in terms of um, how you got to these uh, angles and everything, what's, what, what has led you to do that um, compared to other lines that you might be able to draw on this map that aren't here? I mean, there's to, to someone who looks at this the first time, there's, there's a, yeah, sure. it, it, it can look a bit arbitrary. Why, why line from this point to that point and not this point to that point? You know, it's, what what what's the decision making to say that? Is there a kind of a a, a series you, you of events see, that led you to there? You can see that each point confirms something, confirms another point, and is in, is confirmed in turn by something else. It's an interlocking kind of grid of information. There. It all it all works, and uh, when you say that it looks contrived or no, because I've I've used these uh, really accurate reliable distance calculators to mm -hmm. measure all this out. And as I said, the code, it's really weird how Jim Pennison was able to write down seven sets of coordinates that encapsulate all this information. And the, the, the math is meticulous. I mean, these distances are correct, they're, they're spot on. So, uh, yeah, because the, well, the coordinate we've got is this, this west facing coordinate on the, where the pin is. And All that came from that west face point on the pyramid, and you just measure from it down, and you find yeah. that they are processional number distances in processional numbers, you know, in, in world cubits. So this is where the world cubit comes in, which we've devised also as a relationship to the meter and pi. Yeah. yeah. All, and... That, uh, all that derives from what I found in the code, yeah, what the code is telling us. Yeah. And, and this kind of golden cut... Is this something you've devised or is anything else 
Has anyone else come up with? Well, the, I haven't devised it. It's it's something that just comes out naturally from all this uh, geometry, and from the distances we're given in world cubits. You know, um, so it's it's there. You know, it's not something that you just you make up. It's it's our. You know, it's all derived from from this geometry, from this template, which is in in the phi ratio. Sure, I'm just trying to work out what what if there's if there's a like. Um some underlying mathematics that led you to to do this that has been used in other systems before or anything that made you think oh let's let's try that um that was tried here let's try it there or is is this kind of a bit yeah, I mean, original in its thought on, i've had 12 years to work on it so yeah um it's something that you work out you know over time and and then this is the conclusion you come to um but it all it's all mathematically perfect you know um, yeah. precise because there's, a, there's a, lot of, a lot of work has been gone into this and sort of condensing it into a small conversation is hard to elaborate how exactly. you've got to that conclusion but exactly um sort of trying to trying to get my head around when I, if yeah. i was presented with this coordinate would i go about exactly the same thing i think that's that's what people like to see within within a sort of a scientific circle is if you gave this to someone else Without any knowledge of what you'd done, would they come out with the same um, cut golden cut angle and say come out with the same understanding, or or might they come out with a different one? That I think that's where um, you might, if if you were Maybe to give not. this and someone came up with the same ideas, you could give that to someone who's quite skeptical and say, look, this has happened now twice, it completely independently. There's some, there's something to this. Would you agree on that? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree that maybe someone would overlook it or would look at something else. And uh, But what happened here is that it's all a logical step-by-step -step process. Mm. You know, and the thing is, is that what you see here, I mean, that's a major discovery in itself that the pyramids at Giza are positioned to the phi ratio. Um, but that yeah, is so what... That, that, when you say the position to the phi ratio, you mean that the, um, the, the this bottom left one to the top one there's a and, and the, if you they're look at the, where the middle one is it, it, there's a phi ratio embedded in court embedded in there there's they're both 540 royal cubits you know you can see you know what i'm saying is you the distance the full distance between um the latitude passing through the great pyramid at the top there and the and the latitude passing through the third pyramid at the bottom you can divide that distance which is I think overall it's 1413.72 royal cubits, 1,000 uh, 413.72 royal cubits. And then you um, you take 540 from that and you're left with 873.72 royal cubits. And if you take 873.72 royal cubits and you divide by 40, by 40 you get 1.618 royal cubits, which is the fire ratio. So, I mean, it's all there. I mean, it mm -hmm. is there. I mean, it's not something that I've kind of just made fit. It's it's actually the the geometry that the pyramids yeah. are kind of positioned. So sure, I'm just trying to I'm trying to understand how how you've come to to see some of these things. Like if the golden cut, the northern one doesn't quite cross the top of the pyramid. Is that is there a reason? It doesn't that, have to. Doesn't have to. Okay. You see the you see the way the golden cut at south. You know the golden cut south. That goes through the, the south base of the second yeah. pyramid anyway. It's all the phi ratio. It's just that you can, um, you know, you just divide the phi ratio. And so you get, it's like, um, I don't know, what do you call it? 
it's like a fractal. You know, you can keep going down and going down and going down yeah. with the same the same ratio. So it's the sort of the spi- You sort of see this on the right hand side. The sort of the spiral not- notation there. That it's it's kind of like it's embedded in nature. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got the two golden spirals there. You know, aligned with the position of the of G two and you know, the second pyramid anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, with the proportions of it. So okay. what I'm saying is, it, it, this is all na- it's all naturally derived, but it's the code that kind of led me to this discovery. And that in itself is a major discovery uh, without, mm-hmm. you know, the fine structure constant. But you find that the golden cut latitude in the north is what generates the fine structure constant inverse number. Okay. Is that is that what we're, oh, we're heading to next? Is that? Yeah, it's like whoever devised the code and said, how to put it, Cole Sagan. Remember that quote yeah. by Cole Sagan? He said that, um, he said that the number 137, and especially the number of digits, you know, the decimal point, uh, decimal places after. He said that would be the quintessential candidate for the jewel in the crown of, um, you know, uh, message of a message that's been sent. So one three seven is somewhere else. Is, so the the, the uh, I think I've I've used this in physics before that as a shortcut to the fine structure constant is to do. One over one three seven as a short shortcut, although it's not quite exact. I think it, but it, yeah, it, no, it, it, you've got it's, it's, you've got the inverse. Which, yeah. Well, you explain it this way: you've got the inverse number, which is one three seven point oh three five nine 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 oh eight four. And if you uh, was to take the number one and divide by that number, then you get the fine structure constant itself, which is like zero point zero zero seven two nine seven two five three five. Something like that. Yeah, it yeah. just goes on, and there's like so, 17 decimal places. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, 17 digits, but 16 decimal places. Is it worth maybe yeah, talking a bit saying, about the the importance of the fine structure constant in physics itself? Yeah, um, what 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 I was going to say is is that um, it depends on the number of decimal point that's decimal places after the one three seven, which gives you an indication of how intelligent. The sender, uh, intelligent the civilization is that sent the message. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's a number, it's of, a measure of um, how intelligent you are. The, how many, how many yeah. decimal places you've devised? Yeah, or, it's a, it's a level it's like of te- the speed of light, or or or, or pi, or other things as well, right? So it shows the level of technology and and the and the you know the level of intelligence behind that technology. Precision of the tools to be able to you're using to be able to measure it. Yeah. Now we got to a point where we got it to nine decimal places, <clears throat> um, but back in 1980, when when Jim was Jim had received this code, um, I think that we only had it to like two two to three decimal places. Yeah, but at that time when this uh, latitude was passing through Giza, no one knew that it would generate uh, the same 12-digit number that would be you know, determined by our physicists in 2018. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and I say that it was in, in 1980 because you've got to take the tectonic plate motions of the of the African plate where Giza is situated, on, G- on which Giza is situated. You've got to take into consideration that motion, which is like 2.15 centimetres a year, and it's in a kind of northeast um, azimuth direction uh, of like, 51.46 degrees 
And, and it's been consistent over the last 100 million years. So you've got to take that slow movement of the African plate into consideration when you're looking at coordinates because the coordinates grid system is fixed, but it's the land underneath which is moving, you know? So mm -hmm. with the African plate, that, that's, that's the, um, that's how it's, it's, it's 2.15 centimetres a year. So that's so why I was asking you, where this picture was from, because if this picture is sort of 2006, it doesn't quite relate to how the pyramids looked in 1980. Is that correct to say? No, they are. The, the coordinates that I've got here are from 1980, uh, relate to 1980, where... Um, the picture that's, uh, that you're overlaying the coordinates on, is that a picture from 1980? No, it doesn't matter. It, oh, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter because, um, no, it doesn't matter because that Google Earth, you know, you just take... Um, you take an overhead view of Google Earth and you, you find out what the coordinates of the, you know, sort of key points of the pyramid would be, how they would have been in 1980. And you just draw it up that way. It doesn't matter about, you know, when the satellite photo was, was taken, if you see what I mean. Okay. I mean, you're only talking about less than a metre, yeah? Oh, in, in From, that... uh, say, say between 2018 and 1980, it's less than a metre. Of travel that the Earth has had. Plane. Okay. But the thing is, you, the coordinates, the last few digits will change every year. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? So um, put it this way. In 1979, um, you probably would have changed by the last, I think the last four digits would have changed. In 1981, after 1980, the, the last, last four seven... digits of, of what? The, the, the golden cut? Yeah, the, okay. the latitude number. Yeah. So in 1979, it wouldn't have, um, the, the latitude, the golden cut latitude wouldn't have uh, generated the fine structure constant inverse number to 12 digits. Uh, and in 1981, it wouldn't have done that either. Okay. So 1980 was the only year that that golden cut latitude, those golden cut, the numbers in that golden cut latitude, would have um, generated fine structure constant, constant inverse number. So what we're saying here is that that could be the reason why the incident took place in 1980, because it was a way of providing proof of uh, retrocausality, you know, right? Time, uh, some kind of manipulation of time by a civilization. Okay. It was a way of proving it. It was the only time it could have happened in the whole history of humanity. The whole timeline of our history, 1980 would have been the only year when that golden, the numbers in that golden cut latitude would have generated the fine structure constant okay. of 12 digits. So shall we, shall we talk about how that, that uh, fine structure constant comes from this, this attitude? Is that? Yeah, because let's, let's, let's go on. Yeah. So you can see here what I, I've already said, that the uh, coordinates uh, from Nazca to, to Giza there on the west face of the pyramid is 7687 miles. And, um, in, you know, the meters, the meters distance as well, which refines it. And then when you measure down from there, you measure 540 royal cubits down, so it touches the Giza diagonal. That gives you that latitude going through. And when you, in 1980, you find out that the numbers of that latitude, the golden cut latitude was 29.9766248, okay? Is that understandable? Yeah, so what I'm seeing here, and this is quite a good diagram, so it shows a relationship between the golden cut latitude, which is this this quite special yeah. latitude, and, and its relationship to 
the the point on um, that comes straight from the coordinates and that's a distance if you were to look between the two of 540 royal cubits yeah and the 540 we were... number and the 540, and that 540 number, number is, is a special number in in terms of it, it's a positional number yeah um i think 148 148 for 25 9 20 years and and it's also important because it shows how the building of the pyramids itself was built to relate to these these processional numbers and the the phi ratios and 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 this is yeah. all um talked about um <laughs> i've heard uh, yeah. people like graham hancock um have talked about this the kind of the mathematics that as a uh, underneath yeah. what looks like just three pyramids is is quite incredible so <clears throat> so so we've basically got here a relationship between this golden cut latitude and the the actual coordinates itself that comes from um, from so that west face point on the Great Pyramid, which yeah. produces all the phi ratio um, data, and then it then you measure down five forty from that point, and that's where you get the golden cut latitude, and it intersects the where both intersect the Giza diagonal, and the Giza diagonal is a processional timeline. So the, the line coming talk. from the Nazca to Giza, how, how does that? <clears throat> Why is that important? Is it because that's the point which that intersects with the latitude that you're given by the coordinate? Is it that you get the longitude? Well, yeah, because it what it is, it, you just measure down from that point to the Giza diagonal, and you find that that point is where you the, the golden cut latitude passes through. So it's all kind of self-evident, you know. I mean, it's all one thing predicts one thing. Um, kind of uh, confirms another and that thing is confirmed by something else it's all like an interlocking grid of information so if you were to, to take away that line that comes from nazca just just imagine that wasn't there you could still devise this 540 cubits line down to the golden cut latitude right or not really would you not be able to yeah, get but, up to the same but conclusion? you wouldn't have anything you wouldn't have any kind of reference to it really what the code does it provides us with the reference to that point on the west face of the pyramid and as you know, it's not just the Nazca coordinates. You get that with the high Brazil coordinates and, and the uh, Naxos coordinates. They all reference that point on the west face of the Great Pyramid. So once you've got that... If, if you were to else, look at the um, other places like the Sphinx and the, the Una Pyramid. Yeah, but yeah. all you see, one, that's what I'm saying, is that it's all backed up by the other things the code is giving reference to. You know, It's, it's like an interlocking of information you know that's why i said to you that you can't really talk about one aspect of this without having to talk about the other things because it's all kind of interlocked and the measurements are so precise yeah okay so, should we move so on you to can the see the logic one? so you can see the logic of how that comes out comes up comes about uh i can i can see yeah in terms of how to to get from the point that's yes. on the coordinate down to the golden latitude from this diagram, I think, yeah. It's a logical step-by-step -step process. No one is really going to appreciate it until they work on this themselves and follow what I've done, mm -hmm. you know. But when they do, they add that aha mode, you know. They can't just be shown it. They've got to do it themselves to kind of appreciate it. Okay. So, anyway, going into the next one. Okay, so this is you on the calculator showing the fine structure constant, and you've got this here. Dusty, you explain it. 
Yeah, the number at the top here, 29.9766248, is the number in the Golden Cut Latitude. Let's have a look. Okay. Yeah. Without the dot. <laughs> I don't know. I think oh, we're missing... With a dot in there, yeah. We're missing a, a diagram which shows you the 320 and the 70. Um, but anyway, the Golden Cut Latitude number, if you divide... If, sorry, if you multiply by 320 and you divide by 70, you get that inverse fine structure constant number, but it, it ends at 05, uh, sorry, 857 instead of 84, okay? All right, so if you carry on, if you take 320, you divide by 70, it, you know, it's the same as dividing 32 by seven, and then you get that number, 4.57142, and that just repeats. But if you, but that number, if you multiply the golden cut latitude number by that number, then you get the full 12 digits of the inverse fine structure constant, which is in the next uh, graphic. See? The golden cut latitude number, and you divide by that number, which is like 332 divided by 7 or 320 divided by 70, and you get the full 12 digits. I mean, it, it, it goes 0, 8, 4, 5, yeah. 7, but you get the first 12 digits of the inverse fine structure constant, which is, it's only two 12 digits anyway. So what we're saying is we were given a coordinate and from that you've come to another another latitude using the mathematics around the, the, the pyramid um, and yeah. using the phi angle. And from that angle, You've then multiplied yep. by 32 over 7 to get yep. the fine structure constant. And, and I think we, we need to know why 32 over 7 at the moment. Yeah, maybe it's in the next diagram. I'm not sure. I don't know whether you skipped one. Look, there's the there's the inverse fine structure constant number. See, it's the same. Yeah. 137, it's in red. 137, 035999, 84. See? Mm -hmm. The same number generated by that latitude. The numbers in that latitude, golden cut latitude. Go yeah. on again. Now there we are. So you're 320 and 70s in here now. Yeah, because they're in the distances. See, what I said about the distances, the numbers in the distances, they're always usually significant and they're giving you extra data which you can use. So the distance between the south edge, the south casing edge, the original south casing edge of the Great Pyramid. Uh, to the golden cut latitude is 320 world cubits and the north the original north um, casing edge of g2 the second pyramid is 70 world cubits north of the golden cut latitude see so you use those numbers and if you go along from the golden cut latitude you go along to the numbers on the right there you can see what how it works out see yeah, so I, I can see those numbers there. It looks looks quite magical, but though it's I don't know how that. So this line to that line, what's the importance of the, those of the of those? How do we come to those? The importance of those lines. Well, those distances exist at Giza. Those distances are in world cubits, mm -hmm. and and they are accurate because, as I said, I've used reliable, accurate. Uh, distance calculators like the Vincenzi distance calculator work all this out. 
And I mean, the Vincenti distance carrier, that, that, that's accurate to like 0.5 millimeters. So um, as I said, all this is meticulously kind of worked out. All the math is, you know, is perfect. And I can prove that because I've got all the um, sure. all, all the data on file to back it up. But you were saying that this it doesn't matter about the fact of when this picture of the pyramids was taken. No, because what what you see there, when I've outlined them in white, that would they, that would apply to the coordinates in 1980. You see, what I'm saying the edges of the pyramids, the the, the base, the bases. Okay, so the base of the pyramid in 1980 down to this golden cut latitude would have been 320 cubic meters in 1980. No, it's it, because everything's relative. So when the land masses are moving, everything's relative. So they, they always remain the same. The distances always remain the okay, same. Okay, so it was, it was this 320 and, and it's still 320 today because the, yeah, they're yeah, all moving. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That, like, that makes sense. Yeah. It's the coordinates, that, it's the numbers in the coordinates that change. And that's why. The number of the golden cut latitude in in 1980 would be important to generate this right. fine structure constant inversely. Okay, so I, I hope people what again. So what you're saying really is that people are... yeah, the whole thing moves together, and that 320 by 70 always exists. But when yes. you encamp encamp encapsulate that with the golden cut latitude in 1980, um, you get the fine structure constant. I see. Okay. Yeah, only, only happens in that year. So that makes me think, well, maybe that's the reason why the Rendlesham incident happened in 1980. I mean, that, that is that is interesting. I mean, it, it, could it be coincidence? That's that's the question that you have. Or are we are we looking for these numbers? You know, it's it is interesting how how we've come to these these conclusions. So the 320 and the 70, is that something that's come up in literature in terms of important distances? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, people. There, there's other researchers, other geezer researchers and, and uh, writers, authors. Uh, um, you you find that those numbers uh, are in the well in the public domain because they're in books and articles. And, and in particular, the sort of the three twenty divided by seventy aspect is that something that's come up in literature, or is that something that, well, that you kind of you see, found? If you yeah, I mean, if you take seventy away from three twenty, it's two fifty. The, the distance between. Um, was it the, the north the, base, the north face and the south face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah B two fifty. It's yeah, that's right. And I mean it, that is in books and uh, articles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just hope people again. Is, and when I say that, maybe that's the reason why the incident happened in nineteen eighty. I mean that's just what I think. I mean it's like it implies that. Okay. And, and just going back to the logical <clears throat> side, so you've you've got this. Um, I'm just trying to picture the scene. You've you've got these coordinates. Was there anything about uh, you looking? Well, did the fine structure constant come out, and then suddenly you went, "Oh, that's the fine structure constant," or was it a bit of, "I'm look, I need to. If I find the fine structure constant in here, then I, I've definitely found the message." <laughs> Which way around was it? <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying. Um, yeah. It all happened kind of slowly. I, I mean, as you, as I said, I've been working on this for 12 years now. Yeah. Uh, and so it takes some time to all come about. But you see, I already discovered that the golden cut latitude was generating the fine structure constant number, the inverse fine structure constant number in 2018. But I didn't know the new 
determination yet. I was working on the, um, the last chapter of the book and I was putting all this information in the last chapter about the fine structure constant um, with the, you know, the, the golden cut attitude generating it. But at that time when I was working on the last chapter, I only had the, um, was it 2014 determination where the, the last three numbers are different. Instead of 084, it's 139, you see? Yeah. And then I thought, as I was working on the last chapter and putting this information in, um, which showed that it only worked to six decimal places, but that was good enough, you know? But then I thought, let's check on Wikipedia to see if uh, the new determination has been published. And there it was. It was 137.035999084. So then I knew the code was authentic. It authenticated itself. Yeah. And, that, and, and what it is, you've got to look at the timing of it, of the timing of when that was published, when that data was published about the fine structure constant, which coincided with me writing the last chapter. So, so what you know, was and the, then I knew. Yeah. I just want to try to understand the process. Were, were you, um, was the fine structure constant something that you were wanting to discover from the code uh, and well, then you found it through the mathematics or was it a case of you applying mathematics and then lo and behold here comes the fine structure constant and you're like oh that's that's interesting is it i just followed i just followed i just followed the steps logically that's all you know like you've got the 320 and the 70 there and i started juggling with the numbers Okay, because there's a lot of numbers that you can juggle with, and and it's like, how do you know this one is important versus that one? I just, yeah. I'm um, yeah. You see, as someone who's a novice to all this, I wouldn't know how to where to start. I'm not really a mathematician, you know. Robert Bovell, um, because mm -hmm. I used to talk to him a lot on Skype, and um, you know, we discussed these things about Giza, and he said, "Can you find the fine structure constant at Giza or, or in the Great Pyramid?" And I didn't know anything about the fine structure constant then, you know. And um, so I thought, all right, I'll have a look. Because the thing is, I'm not a mathematician, but I'm, able, no. I'm a, he Wait, said <laughs> I'm an intuitive, he said I'm an intuitive mathematician because I can remember phone numbers. I can remember, <laughs> I, can, I can see a number that comes up and okay. I, I recognize it. And I recognize it in the calculation. So what you're doing is just juggling with numbers. And then you find that something comes up that you recognize. And you think, oh, that's got to be significant. And it's the same with finding that fine structure constant number. So it sounds like but, the Robert Baval had had um, had given the the starting point, the kind of the genesis to this discovery. It somehow in well, conversation, he is connected. Yeah. His work is connected to the code because of the Giza diagonal, mm. all right, which is connected to his Orion correlation theory. But the thing is, the code is pointing to the Giza diagonal. So I found out about it being a process from timeline. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, me and Scott Crichton, we knew about it being a processional timeline. But I mean, what we were kind of, what we had derived from the measurements and everything. But it was, what came out of the code verified it. You see what I'm saying? Because it, it gave us the measure, the original measurement or distance of the Giza diagonal, which is two 160 royal qubits. Mm -hmm. And two 160 royal qubits is, um, it's, it's a subdivision of the processional cycle. So if you was to multiply 2160, you get 12960 roll qubits, which is half a processional cycle. So then you realize that the Giza diagonal, you measure one way, 
and you measure it in the opposite direction and you multiply it by six, you get the precession cycle. You get you get 12,960 years one way and 12,960 years the other. Mm-hmm. And you've got the full precession cycle of 25,920 years, right? But what is really kind of fascinating about the Giza diagonal, it's just this line, you know, which the Giza pyramids are aligned to. It's, um, you can find dates on that timeline. You can find specific dates on it because of the measurement of it, you see? Yeah. So and if you measure this, this Giza, and just to sorry to interject, but this Giza diagonal it comes from a two are they two smaller pyramids? One is called it's labeled G one A and one's G three A. Yeah, from the center of G three A to. I've um, not been to um, Giza myself. I'd love to go one day. Um, so next to the Great Pyramid, there is three smaller pyramids. Yeah, but then you see they're the Orion Belt. They they represent the Orion Belt stars as well, as well as the. Three large pyramids. I've heard heard so this, they, and it's so it's quite compelling. The idea that it it mirrors yeah. the Orion's belt as well. So as you've got them, you've else. got them, you've got them aligned vertically, and you've got them aligned horizontally in the south. But they show the maximum and minimum culminations of of when the when the Orion belt stars rise on the east on the southeast horizon and set, you know, in the southwest. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, those configurations, they kind of rise vertically in one era, which is like 10 uh, for 60 BC. And um, they arise, they, they rise yeah. or they set, sorry, they set horizontally in okay. um, 2,500 AD. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I don't want to digress because <laughs> it's, it's going to, that could be a whole new yeah, conversation. But, um, it's easier to digress. Ultimately, but what I wanted to get to, yeah. what I wanted to get to yeah. was that Robert Bovell, that, Giza diagonal timeline is essential to his Orion correlation theory. Yeah, right? yeah. And the code points to it. And the thing is, is the code goes back to 1980, if you believe what Jim Penniston has claimed. But yeah. I looked into it. I've been looking at this for 12 years now. I know he's telling the truth. It goes back to 1980. Robert Bovell didn't observe the belt stars connecting with the Giza pyramids until 1982, two years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this goes back to what we were saying at the start about um, the message being less about telling us something, but almost like repeating our own knowledge, almost like saying, here you go, here's stuff that you've come up with, and we're just repeating it back to you. Yeah. In a way, as a sort of start a conversation, just sort of like verify their existence in a way, or whoever sent this, and then they haven't told us who they are or what, why, but they've just sent this message and verified their existence with coordinates um, that point to a deeper mystery about this planet than than uh, than than we (laughs) that we're trying to discover. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As I said, the bottom line is is that the code through this process, through this, you know, all this data. It predicts a 12-digit number that would come up 38 years later. Mm. And no one could have known that. One, no one could have predicted it. And so all the faff about, you know, Rendlesham incident, you know, why did Jim do this? And, oh, Jim, you know, he contradicted himself on this and all that kind of thing, which we've explained in the book. It's all irrelevant. Yeah. This shows so that hypothetically, the, the if, if, if we could go back in time and Jim hadn't, kept that binary code for so long and, and had shared it straight away and it had been taken seriously people looked no. at it do you think people would have come up oh. with the fine structure constant no. 
to no and i'll tell yeah. you why because um all the tools that we would have needed to decipher the code um were only made available after 2018 really in terms of the binary I mean, code reading that, yeah i mean the, we didn't have any accurate uh, mapping data of Giza. Um, okay, only started this is more the coordinates. Yeah. Only started happening in 1984 when the first GPMP maps were, were being produced uh, of Giza, and um, then we had to wait until Glenn Dash and his and the Glenn Dash Foundation went out there to Giza and measured everything, um, and they put survey points down, um, and that ended in 2018. So none of that data was available until 2018, which is when the fine structure constant was determined that we okay. could actually decipher this part of the code, you see? Mm -hmm. It was through actually Glenn Dash, through the data that he was made, he made available in 2018, which was on his website, and you could download the files uh, with the measurements. It was through that that I actually found out about the fine structure constant, uh, I mean, about the um, golden cut latitude mm -hmm. and the numbers in the golden cut latitude and that it was 540-year-old cubits down from, from the center of the Great Pyramid. Oh, I mean the latitude that passes. So, so it was Glenn Dash who gave inspiration <laughs> to the Golden Cloak latitude as a... Well, it provided the maps for me yeah. to actually work okay. it all out properly. I see. And yeah. I, I knew also you had to have the most reliable online tools. Um, like, I mean, with the um, working out the African plate, you know, the tectonic plate motion, you had to have um, tectonic plate motion calculators, mm -hmm. the most reliable ones, and, and also... The distance calculator, as I said, Vincenzi distance calculator, which is one of the best. And they weren't made available. Um, I mean, they were, what I mean is they were made available long after the, the 1980, but they were available before 2018. But it was the mapping data that Glenn Dash provided, which was crucial to sure. being able to work all this out. So, so what we're saying is this could only be properly deciphered, you know, after 2018, which is what happened. Yeah, so it seems the, the story is somehow um, whoever sent this message deliberately wanted it not only to be received in 1980, but also for it to be almost kept in the dark until it was possible to read it in 2018 onwards. Yeah, because and... it coincided with the determination of the fine structure constant. <laughs> Which is <clears throat> very curious in this puzzle that we're trying to, uh, to understand because it seems almost like deliberate that uh, Jim would would put it away and not not bring it back out to light until it was needed, which seems like almost, there's almost like a controlled controlling influence there to a certain extent. Yeah. It seems very curious. Um, Can I say, Joseph, that yeah. I'm glad we've ended on this. I know we've got other graphics that I sent, but maybe we can use that in another you know, interview, which, which actually shows how the code uh, points to the... Uh, cache of records under the left forepaw of the Sphinx, which uh, which goes along with what Marnie has found recently. Well, is this stuff that we we <laughs> is this in public domain? Because I've heard of this. Um, no, this would from... be this is something I've not shared yet. <laughs> okay. I've not shared. I've well, not I, shared... I have heard about these these hall of records underneath uh, the Giza that are waiting to be unearthed and uh, brought to light because there's a lot of information there. But uh, as I said, uh, it's. I've only heard it. I have heard it from other people and it's it's until I'm actually there looking at it physically, I can only say it sounds sounds magical, really. Um, it is all this is all this is magical. I mean it's yeah, but it's all backed up with good mathematical, you know, proof. Mm -hmm. And and it can't really be argued with. It can't. I mean, you no one could have predicted that number. 
Um, so really, as I said, everything else about the RFI, when people are kind of pulling it apart, trying to pull what Jim Pennison had claimed with a code. I mean, there's no way Jim Pennison could have, could have devised this, you know? Oh, no, I, I, I definitely feel if there's any, if there is any validity <laughs> in the whole mathematics around this, actually determining what, what you've come from the defined structure of constant and other things, if there is, if that is all gen, a genuinely, a genuine mathematical model behind that, then I don't think it would have been, it's a hoax coming from Jim Hempeniston. It, but it's, uh, <laughs> we, we don't know who it came from though, too. So it's. No, no, we don't. And that's the bottom line as well that we don't know. I mean, I you can only speculate, I, and it's, we it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it is, but um, we can say that whoever devised it is is able to manipulate time and yeah. space. Well, um, and and consciousness <laughs> as well. Um, but from yeah. what, what I'm what I'm getting from looking at all this information, as as hard as it can be to try and understand from all the lines and the azimuths and all this, is that. Yeah. Um, there's there's something here that needs to be taken into account as uh, an ex. There's something going on that's beyond our, our current knowledge of the, these pyramids aren't weren't built by um, <laughs> a bunch of slaves during the time of Khafre or and Khafre or whatever. And it, these these were these are ancient sites from way back and built by beings of high te technological nature. I think there's a lot of credibility to that argument from from various sources and. And all this, it it seems like it's a it's a level of mathematics and knowledge that's beyond probably most people's understanding of trying to under yeah to to picture. It's very difficult. I mean, yeah, because we're we're not used to thinking <laughs> or modeling the world in terms of phi and and the spiral dynamics that are, and the spatial geometry of things and and talking in in royal cubits or uh, it's it's so it's 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 a leap um into an area which is not natural for a lot of a lot of our minds to to want to understand but maybe one day we will um yeah yeah I was, I was going to say that the, the code is a temporal anomaly i mean it's it things that have emerged from the code kind of only makes sense years later and, and then you get people saying oh well why did jim pennison sit on the code for 30 years you know why didn't he come forward with it before why did he hide it away and not say anything about yeah. it? <clears throat> but maybe yeah. there was a subliminal kind of message put in his head or some kind of, I don't know, command that was put in his head not to talk about it until, you know, when, is, when was it, 2010, 30 years later? Mm -hmm. Because then once it was out, um, I then he gave it to me to look at and it's taken like 12 years to work all this out. And I mean, in, in 2018, that's when the, the uh, inverse um, uh, fine structure constant number come out, but, um, which was generated by that latitude. And so that all from the code. So there is maybe a reason why, there was another reason why he sat on it instead of just being embarrassed by it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Does, does <clears> this, um, when you've been diving into this, has it ever made you think that we're, we're all pawns in someone else's chess game? <laughs> I have to laugh about this because it's like someone's looking over your shoulder from the future, you know, mm. or, or some, you know, outside of our time. Um, yeah. And and the fun, funny thing is, Manu, yeah, um, I showed him how his work is kind of being implicated by the code. You know, what's coming up, what's 
And he was absolutely gobsmacked. He said, are you saying that we're all working to a script? That, <laughs> you know, it's already known about that what we're doing. And I said, yeah, basically, that's what it, it's kind of shown us. You know, it's, a, it's like a demonstration in Retrical's Alley. This about the fine structure constant, you know, especially. But when you look at all the information that's come out of it, um, and there is such a lot. I mean, when I was talking about this, it's also pointing to something under the Sphinx. Um, yeah, I mean, that's another part of it, you know? Yeah. So a whole different level. It's like, there's just multiple multi levels of data here. Yeah, and as should I we said, try and get through next to the next slide and um, discover more? Is <clears throat> Right, so... So this is the comment of... Um... Kalimahos. Lam Lambros. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a declassified NSA document. Yeah. And he says um, it will not be difficult for them, he's talking about, you know, our intelligence to demonstrate their intellectual and art. Was it? I can't really read it properly. It's too small. Technological. <laughs> um, so I, th I think from what it said, and this is 1974. And I think what this, and I think Jim, I think I talked about this with Jim, is that. Um, where if whoever wanted to send this message saw this and used this as a as um to frame somehow how they were going to build the message, it kind of it was almost like a response to this because this was six years before. Could it be? Um, yeah, it could be. But also, what Carl Sagan had, had said when he said that. Yeah, so uh, this is connect. This is not Carl Sagan, but this is connected in a way, isn't it? Yeah, it's connected. But yeah. what is really connected is this movie called UFO, titled UFO, which came out in 2018. Again, 2018. Okay. And and um, Gillian Anderson and David Strathairn, you know, they were the actors in the... In the I've film. not seen this. I feel like I should. <laughs> yeah, no, you should, because it's, it's a decent movie um, about a phenomenon. Um, but see, what comes up in that is the, what the uh, plot is, is the... There was a UFO um, sighting and somehow this guy was able to, I mean, he, I don't know how he got hold of it, but he got hold of a message that was sent and it was in binary code and it had the fine structure constant in it. Okay. Yeah. And I think, wait, wait a minute, I think in one of the slides, I, I think I've give reference to it. I've shown the reference to it. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, so that the thing. 2018 movie UFO, which starred Gillian Anderson and David Strathairn, the movie is about a talented college math student finding a binary code. And, and, and you weren't aware of this movie when you were doing your research, or were you in terms of... No, what? I wasn't. No, no I wasn't. Okay. I, I think I saw it in 2019. Um, so this was um, after, after the fact. After the fact, you the then fact. see a movie about the same thing, is yes. it? Yeah, someone alerted me to it, and so I watched it around about the time when, <laughs> that is, around about that the time when the fine structure constant was published, because it was published a year after. Okay. You see, it was it was it was determined in 2018, but Code Data, um, they uh, publish it. They publish the new determinations every four years, you know, hmm. and they publish publish it six months. Well, you know, the following year when it's been determined. That is curious. So. Um, yeah, and as I said, it was when I looked on the Wikipedia and I found that the last few digits were exactly the same as what the Golden Cut Latitude in 1980 had generated. I just knew then that the, the code has authenticated itself. It was authentic. I feel so, like yeah, I should have so watched this movie before this interview so I could uh, 
relate to it. I feel like uh, I'm going to go and watch it now. <laughs> yeah, so that, so what there is, is a, there's a quote by Ryan Eslinger, who was the guy who made the movie. And he says, NARCAP publishes technical reports on UFO signs, including the O'Hare airport sighting. And I also came across the classified documents that the NSA published, which is what that quote was, you know, from the mm-hmm. NSA document online concerning potential methods of uh, communication with other life forms. So one document in particular talks about using things like the fine structure constant in our communications, which informed uh, the decoding of the, of the signal. They also was that consulted with, um, I see, I can't read this probably because it's too small. I haven't got my glasses on. Yeah, an astrophysicist at Ohio State University, Paul Sutter, who fact-checked the script as much as you can fact-check a movie called UFO. During our discussion, the idea of using binary as a method of communication came up. Mm-hmm. 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 So it's a kind of strange synchronicity. There, yeah. You know? yeah. But then I think maybe it was meant. You know, there's the, they, whoever devised the code knew that this would all be coming up anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the next one? Yeah, if you can, yeah. So, what I found with this quote from a magazine, a short take on Ryan Eslinger's UFO by Brian Sentis, May twenty six, May twenty sixth. <laughs> see that, see that date, May twenty sixth, twenty nineteen. Yeah, that's the actual date when the new determination of fine structure constant was published on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. And he says at okay. the end here, he says, um, solving the more complex communications received from the alien, which in turn suggests, though this is never spoken by any character, that the aliens are not from a distant point in space, but in time, namely our own future. Mm-hmm. So I thought I was meant to see that. You know, it's like... <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a th- it's it's a theory that's um, gaining traction. This um, if. I think it's is it my masters who calls them extra tempestual rather than ex- extraterrestrial. The idea, um, yeah, sure, rather than being from another world but from another time, it's, it's this quite is, intriguing and uh, yeah. <laughs> adds another layer well, of complexity of, to this whole puzzle. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the reasons why Jim Penniston and I are kind of swimming against the tide, really, to trying to get this, trying to get people to understand this. You know, there's been this message and it is legit because no one could have predicted the number but what it is is the reason why we're swimming against the tide is because there's so many people in the ufo community who believe that it's extraterrestrials or you know even though there's not really any real evidence that that's what is behind the phenomenon and i don't really endorse us from the future i mean i wouldn't say i really endorse it's us from the future that scenario or, or hypothesis but i keep my mind open i wouldn't say i believe I think once you say you believe in something, then then you're restricted, you're limited to that belief and, and you're not open to other possibilities. So I never say I believe, keep my mind open, but I'm very sceptical about things, you know? Yeah. And as I said, all I can say is, is that this, whoever devised the code, it's an advanced intelligence that is not confined to the laws of our temporal spatial reality. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. I think I think what joins us a lot of people in the UFO community isn't what we believe in terms of what what all the speculation of what's going on. It's more a case of believing that the current narrative is not the true the true narrative. It's 
there's something right. bigger and i think uh it doesn't yeah that's I mean, always yeah, happened all the way through time all the way through copernicus and galileo and all then it was it sure. was uh there's always been a collection of people that have yeah. said well our current belief system might not be the truth uh right. and they've always been stigmatized until eventually it breaks through and and then there's a new belief system and then a new one it kind of that's how that's how evolution of, of the mind is and i think we're just going through another stage of that right now right so uh yeah sort of breaking advances, our own belief systems to create new ones <laughs> yeah it advances at one funeral at a time you know with new yeah. generations are coming up they're more open to you know that's right yeah other points of view um so yeah i mean there's there's no way anyone could have predicted that so mm -hmm. um jim peniston could not have devised this it's too complex he just doesn't have the patience he doesn't read a lot but having having um, now met him in the podcast and got to know <laughs> him I, I can't see if some of his character wanting to do that for any reason i mean he's he's a no really didn't want to come out with any of this really until no, recently he's a no nonsense guy you yeah. see he's a military guy and he's been taught to keep secrets yeah so a lot of people think that because he's not totally open it's like he's not totally open but he kind of he's got a filter where he he's just keeps information back because that's what he's been taught is there he is mm -hmm. so but they see that as him being um you know kind of uh, deceptive in, in some way and it's not true because i've known jim for 12 years now and we've gone over everything so when i come up with something that someone's been saying like some skeptic has been raising some issue and i ask him about it and he explains it i said why didn't you make that clear why didn't you because there's one thing about Jimmy, he doesn't, he's not very clear on what he says, and you can easily kind of get confused. But really, after everything that we've talked about, I can see that he's been able to, you know, explain everything. And all these people, what they're doing is they don't understand it properly. They've misinterpreted, or they've misread something, or they've misheard what he said. Or Because a lot of people are confused sometimes with what he comes out with. But really, he's telling the truth. It's just that, He's very evasive, you know, because he's very mm. guarded on, on what he gives out. Mm. So, um, yeah. But that's that's not to say the man is dishonest. Um, you know, I, I know John Burroughs, and he's running Jim down, and he's running the coat down. But I know the guy, and I know yeah. that he's disingenuous a lot of the time with with mm. the truth, and you know. So, um, and he's got an agenda. I think there's people pulling his strings, uh, and uh, there is. As I said, it's a concerted effort to try and dismiss, to try and discredit the code and dismiss it, <clears throat> because I think that it proves once and for all that there is a real phenomenon here. I think I think that's the bottom line of what we're trying to get to ultimately with the code and with, with all the other discussions going on is that there is there is a phenomenon. What it is, we're not we're still trying to discover it, but there is something there. You know, it's not. Uh, a nothing burger some people complain that word seems to get banded around a lot as a as you know a complete uh a creation of our minds or of you know people wandering away yeah. and coming up with nonsense i mean there's so much this this field when you, it's, you you touch into it and suddenly you realize how big it is you know in all sure. sorts of areas so it's i mean just, to me it just gets keep getting bigger and bigger <laughs> yeah I've, to me the code is um is legit it's because of that number you know Everything else just powers into insignificance. It's not just that, but also the whole Rensham <laughs> incident is what what was the was for it, and that seems extremely legit given the military personnel that have you know that have talked about it and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, um, and I appreciate where I want to when... talk about book. Yeah, I just want to talk about the book for a bit. 
yeah um so i think we're back to to one there so do you want to should we come out of this hold on let me stop sharing so yeah. uh yeah hopefully i don't know if you've um got ability to maybe go again sometime and because we've there was some there's some questions but have I you enjoyed to it <laughs> i want to know if you've enjoyed it oh i have yeah it's it's been good and i'm, I'm sorry if i've uh pressed on certain areas but I, I am i guess trying to act a bit like the, the mind of a of a skeptic who's looking at the angles good. and lines and things good, and trying to say yeah and I, I think it's important if we want to see this this information ever go mainstream we have to be able to back up why <clears throat> why these things are there so hopefully we'll, we'll we'll get to that point where we can um you know sort of <laughs> fully understand the logic the process to get to that point and if we if someone was to take i mean that's the ultimate question is someone to take those coordinates go away and come back with the same um ideas that you've got then that would give validity to it or anything that that shares an, a same a similar logical process of knowledge well there are that... look, there are several phd scholars and mathematicians that i've been talking to mm -hmm. endorse the code i mean one of them being professor J.P. De Vierville, who was the cousin of Neil Armstrong, you know, mm -hmm. who is the you know um, the late Neil Armstrong. Um, so that there are people that kind of in you know the scholars in their field who are endorsing this. No, okay. I mean Neil Armstrong himself, didn't he? After um, everything that happened with with the moon landing and everything, he went off on his own and did. He went to all these sacred places for. For various reasons, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised. He, he kind of went on his own travels trying to discover things, and um, and there's yeah. also uh, Edgar Mitchell. He came up. He said he had inspiration out of the. Yeah, so there's there's a I lot of a, these astronauts who come back. Yeah, I was on a forum with. I mean, Jack Safadi, the physicist, because mm -hmm. I I've known him since 1999, and you know, I mean, we. We went to Yuri Geller's house, both of us, me and Jack <laughs> Safari, uh, because they both shared an experience and they were talking about that. But um, yeah, uh, people, I was put on this list of recipients, email recipients that Jack Safari has. And there was a lot of these top names there. And the people from the Aviary, you know, mm -hmm. the UFO group, the Aviary. Yeah, Kit Green. And, uh, yeah. Green um, was it um, Ron Pandolfi? Yeah, uh, CIA off. guy. Um, also, Hal yeah. uh, Putoff. Yeah, Hal yeah. Putoff. All those, all those, all that circle of people. And um, I was talking to some of these people um, in private, and they wouldn't ever come out with it in public. And I won't mention names, but they were talking about Kundalini. They said they had that experience, and it's like I realised that that experience kind of pulls people together in some way. And Jack, even Jack Safari, he had that. He said he had that experience, but they won't talk about it because it's a kind of taboo subject. It isn't so much now, but it was back then. I mean, when I when I say I had this experience, it's like okay, they call it enlightenment, but you're not enlightened. You know, you're not, you don't remain enlightened. You might have, you might be able to look at things in a different way and connect things together. But um, yeah, I'm a very analytical. See, I'm an analytical thinker, and, and um, so I'm, a, I'm an INTJ, which is, what was it, the uh, Myers-Briggs personality type. So okay. I'm, not, I'm an INTJ anyway, so a lot of people don't really understand me. You know, I've always been kind of mostly misunderstood. 
Um, but yeah, I think the way I approach things, that's how I came, that's how I was able to, you know, extra, extrapolate this information from the code. Mm-hmm. It takes a certain kind of mind, I guess, and I guess that's why it fell in my lap. It's the way I approach things. Yeah. So um, I'm not saying I'm the chosen one. I'm just saying that, you know, um, there's someone that to decode it and maybe they knew who was able to approach it in the right way to be able to do it. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I think the experience I had, yeah, I was going to say, I think the experience I had in 93, which was uh, the 10th of November 93, the experience, I think it was conducive. I think it was way, all what I was doing after the experience and researching into it, I thought all that and what I discovered was all in preparation for me working on the code. That's what it seems. Mm-hmm. So I think the phenomenon that touched me and it and everything I was researching after and the books I was writing and and the f- things I was discovering, I think all that was in preparation for me working on the code in a way that I would approach it in the right way. Sure. Okay. Well, um, I think uh, in, in terms of time and, and if you uh, agree to maybe come back on and try and uh, we could dive a bit deeper into this. Um, do you want to finish by talking a little bit about um, the book. Any books you're write, writing at the moment and how people can reach um, you? Yeah, I'm writing on two follow-up books to the um, the Reynoldsham Enigma, uh, which I wrote with Jim Penniston. Jim Penniston will, will contribute something, but I, I've had to do these two books just to show all this information that's come out of the code. I mean, that's what I thought I would be doing, but Jim wanted to write a book about his experience and the aftermath, you know, all the years, you know, afterwards and what happened. So I thought, yeah, well, that'd be a good foundation for the findings of the code to come out later, you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, the book, it's like, um, it's so, I mean, it's 700 pages or almost. I mean, and it's like, uh, it's like a dissertation, you know, (laughs) and all these, all these end notes in there that give, um, give the facts of what was happening at the time, even things that Jim Penisley didn't know about, what's going around, what going on around him at the time. So the main, the main chapters are, are his, story, his account of the incident and the years afterwards. Um, and the end notes are really about, you know, the things that are going on at the time. We have a witness accounts, other testimonies, and, and kind of, it, it's more like a reference book, really, on Rendlesham. And I'm proud of it. I'm really proud of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's fascinating. The the kind of the first section is fascinating just to hear the story, and then yeah, towards the end you get a, get a, also another sort of layer of fascination about the the, I guess the relationships and the aftermath and, and, yeah. and the uh, <laughs> it gets a bit um, into into that. So yeah, it's 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 great. I it's think a great it read. is. I, I recommend it for great. just just to yeah get a picture of just how how this happened, and this also gives a. A UK perspective as well, because a lot of people they know about Roswell, but not so much about Rendlesham. And I think Rendlesham is up there as as probably the Roswell of the UK, is in the the probably the one. I don't know if, it, if there's any other sighting in the UK that kind of eclipses it, but I, I can't think of one. So I think it's it's up no, there. It's the most uh, well documented case in military history, UFO military history. Yeah, exactly. So so yeah. um, but you know our book has really been cancelled you know like this cancel culture thing it's, it's really been cancelled in the ufo community no one mentions it no one gives it a review no one in the ufo ufo community wants to touch it because what it does is it explains a lot of the things that they were always kind of bringing up all these issues mm-hmm. and because it explains it, it's like ugh, 
we won't mention that book because we don't want to be debunked ourselves, you know. So I think that's the reason why. And also because Jim Pennison, as I said, is 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 against the the popular narrative that is being sold about ET, you know, it's ET and that they're a threat and that kind of thing. So um yeah, it's like he's he's uh, like as I said, we're swimming against the tide really. Okay. With this. Um so even though it's got a lot of good reviews on Amazon, you won't find it mentioned in the UFO community much. Although you do get emails from people and saying, oh, well, I think this book's great. It's just one of the best on, on the Renaissance and UFOs in particular, you know? So you get them silently. So, you know, like behind the scenes, you get them talking about it. But in the UFO community, they don't, they won't, they don't mention it, mm-hmm. which is strange. Well, there's a, there's a lot of strange things going on in the UFO community, but <laughs> I think the yeah. main thing is we, we get somewhere and uh, we find out what's going on, or at least try to, maybe, I mean, I've talked about this in other podcasts, um, it's, we, we shouldn't maybe be so desperate for the end goal, we should just try and enjoy the journey, because um, trying right. to solve these puzzles <laughs> is itself the enigma, it's uh, it's it's, it's yeah. part, part of the journey, and it's it's something, it's a it's something that's yeah. important itself, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I didn't do this for financial reasons because really you don't make a lot of money out of books anyway, yeah. you know, to be truthful. Just your, your curiosity. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and if I was, if I wanted to make money, I'd be, I would have got something out on the code years ago, you know? But I wanted to make sure that I, the books I write, they're worth the money, you know, to people and, and uh, they, they're a good read. So I, I take uh, particular kind of you know pleasure in just writing and making sure everything's sure. everything's perfect with it as much as we can all the facts and everything get in there well so, on that uh, note um maybe we can uh have james on next time and he can ask you some um some questions but uh thank you so much for for doing this it's been been really good and uh yeah hopefully thank you, see you again another time soon sure thanks okay see you soon